0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: The UFO has got a ladder coming down from it. Now, this is a craft that's come across zillions of miles, you know, light years across space, and it puts a ladder down.
2: Hello, I'm Dallas Campbell, and welcome to another episode of Patented, a podcast all about the history of inventions brought to you by History Hit. Now then, I've always been very interested in flying saucers. Now, maybe it's because I grew up in the 1970s and 1980s reading books about unexplained phenomena, which was very popular at the time. And then later I used to read The Fortean Times, which is a brilliant magazine that playfully examines such stories. But despite loving the stories... I don't actually believe in flying saucers in terms of them being alien spacecraft or there being government conspiracies that are concealing the truth. But I am much more interested in the history of people seeing things in the sky, anomalous things, which really dates back to as long as human beings have looked up. But why do people believe in such things? Are they seeing real things? Are we really just witnessing projections of more earthly concerns, projections of politics, belief systems? fear of technology Now, I've got a large collection of books which explore all of these different angles. My absolute favourite is a book from the 1950s when flying saucers were big news. It's called Space, Gravity and the Flying Saucer. It's got my favourite cover of any book ever, this wonderful pencil-drawn cutaway of a, a sort of classic flying saucer shape. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's written by Leonard Cramp. And in the book, Cramp describes all the technology, all the science that make flying saucers work. But of course, it's a real confusion of real science and real engineering. So if UFOs aren't real, in inverted commas, can they really be invented? Well, today's guest would argue yes, and in fact gives a precise time for it down to the minute. It is the journalist uh, and author David Clark, whose book How UFOs Conquered the World is one of my favourites. Clark, wonderful to see you. Thanks very much for joining me on the show today. Um, How do I introduce you? Writer? Lecturer? Academic?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that sums it all up, yes. Flying saucer. Aficionado. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I've got to say, I read your book a few years ago actually, How UFOs Conquered the World, The History of a Modern Myth, and it's absolutely brilliant. It's one of those books that I read. It sort of sat on my bookshelf for ages. I've got a load of books on UFOs for reasons that we'll discuss in a minute. And it took me a while to read it and I read it. It was like the lights coming on and the windows opening and a fresh breeze coming through. It was like, yes, finally, somebody actually gets what it is. And just to sort of preface this before we kind of get onto the meat of the subject, the subtitle of History of a Modern Myth, I think that's the key for for you and me, really. We're both interested in UFOs, but not that we are sort of UFO believers.
1: Yeah, I think the word myth is disparaged in in our society. It's like we've always had myth, and it's always been part of what humans do and are. And now when we talk about UFOs, as a journalist myself in the past, you talk about, oh, it's only a myth. As if that's it, then. We can just put it into one corner. We don't need to worry about it. It's only a myth. The fact that it is a myth is really interesting, and I want to talk about that. And it's a
2: fascinating thing, and it says a lot about us as a species, and that's all very interesting. But if you do get into discussions, which I do stupidly because I'm an idiot, on Twitter with people who are real kind of – they believed UFOs are – and I'm putting everything in inverted commas here – real – and trying to explain to them that, then they get quite offended about it and go, ah, oh, yes, but we've got evidence that these things are real. And I'm like, do you? And then you look at their evidence and you realise it's not really evidence.
1: Yeah, but they, they are such, they are real in that if you believe in something enough, it's almost like, you know, do we believe in fairies? They are real to people in that people's yeah. entire lives have been altered as a result of their belief in UFOs. So how does that make them not real? I just want to be provocative here. I'm sort of
2: interested in, when I say real, as in they sort of physically exist from a technological standpoint, and here we are. I mean, my my podcast is about technology and the invention of technology. This is a slightly odd one. I wanted to shoehorn UFOs in because I'm like, well, it's kind of a technology, even though it doesn't actually exist as a technology it exists as as something else perhaps but actually we're at the moment as we're recording this we're not in a kind of massive ufo flap there's lots of stuff about ufos at the moment as well this idea of the pentagon writing a piece about oh you know ufos and investigating ufos and there's, there's people like david fravor who's a military pilot coming out and saying all these things it just seems to be sort of fashionable at the moment
1: it tends to kind of wax and wane in terms of fashion doesn't it this is what one of the things i find the most interesting about it is monitoring why suddenly it's there and then suddenly it's not and i wish i'd made a note of who it was and when it was but there was a guy i spoke to i think it was while i was working on that national archives project you know when they released all the files and i think it was a journalist from the times and he just sort of said to me well Yeah, um, can't quite put your finger on it, but sometimes it's just the right time for a UFO story. And I just thought, yes, I know what you mean, (laughs) but (laughs) what what is the right time?
2: Is it the right time now?
1: Or is it just me reading lots of things about UFOs, so it's my own... Bias. Well, we're coming up to the um, the 75th anniversary of the birth of ufology. That is on the June the wow. 24th. Well, that's what we're here to talk about. But anyway, carry on. That is, uh, I think that's become World UFO Day, or is it a, a couple of weeks later, which coincides with the Roswell incident early July. So that's yes. like the annual jamboree. So there'll be something in the Daily Express and there'll be something in the uh, Mail... You know, there'll, there'll be some resurrection of some old story. I was talking to uh, uh, Peter Brooksmith, who's been writing about UFOs. Yes, I know him. Longer yes. than I long, have. A long and, time. Yeah, and he was saying he's pretty much given up on the subject now because it's just the same as he puts it—the same old hoary old well, stories. This is my contention: is that
2: you know, when people on Twitter and social media are really into UFOs and believe there's something there and believe there are covert projects and believe that the government are hiding all this stuff, it's exactly the same story as it's always been. It's exactly the same story as kind of Roswell, which was all about military pilot discovers things, and what we're seeing now with these with the Nimitz case—if anyone's familiar with that—these there were these these sort of three videos of fuzzy blobs in black and white that have been captured by military cameras it's always fuzzy blobs there's never any there's never anything other than sort of fuzzy blobs and everyone can sort of read into it whatever they want you know any lack of information is always the government Hiding things, and it's as you say, the same story over and over again. But UFO believers never seem to see that, they always seem, Oh, this time it's real, this time there's
1: absolutely conclusive proof until that one <laughs> has been demolished. I mean, there's been so many times over <laughs> yeah. the decades where I remember one way back, and this is probably one that even you, Dallas, don't recall back in the early 1980s. There was a, a story in Yorkshire where two police officers had seen what they said was a flying saucer that had landed in the Yorkshire Dales. And it was on the front page of the Yorkshire Post. I remember it now. UFO lands in Yorkshire Dales. It was made a page lead in the mirror. And it was, if you can imagine, like one of the sort of fells in darkness with sort of light sky behind it. And then three blobs of light arranged just below the fell. And because it was police officers, as with these pilots that you've been talking about and what have you... It must be true, because why would a police officer lie? Why would a pilot? Yes, it's the argument from authority. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, but, but they aren't lying. They did see something. They did have an experience. They mm. did take the photograph. And you know what it was that they photographed? And it took us four years to work it out. A colleague what of mine who it? lives up in the Dales, he used to drive to Bradford and back from his work in Brighouse, I think it was. So he, every day was mm. like looking at the fell. And just one particular day, the light was shining in the right direction, and he saw the Krako UFO exactly as depicted. So had it come back? <laughs> so we got, to, we got our hiking gear on, we went to the top of Craco fell, and guess what it was? It was a piece of shiny lichen on a rock that just at a certain time of the year, when the sun was in the right direction, that hit it. If you were standing at the bottom of the fell, you could see what looked like three brilliant balls of light on the fell. And we took a photograph of it, we reproduced it, exactly the same photograph. We showed it to the police officers and it was like, oh, right, it wasn't a UFO then.
2: Well, it was when you (laughs) saw it. When people see things, it's not like they're, well, I mean, obviously people do hoax things,
1: but people, you know, they believe what they see. I think the point i make to the end of the book you've just triggered that off in my brain i think right at the end of the book i say you know yeah people say you have to believe your eyes but it's the other way around you believe in something first which a lot of people do with ufos i mean all the polls show
2: exactly right
1: massive belief in the subject so if you've got that there in the back of your mind and then you're out and about and you see a shiny lump of rock on a fell side or you see a plastic bag being blown across the sky or something you think
2: oh that's a ufo no 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 you're exactly right you know talking to you know ufo buffs who believe they always believe and then they'll find the evidence to justify kind of well, evidence very much in versus comments. it's always you know it's always anecdotal evidence mm. generally and it's supported by things like well he was a military pilot blah blah blah, blah. Oh, um, yeah. anyway yeah. but it's an interesting subject all the way but here we are on patented talking about technology and
1: inventions who invented the flying saucer (laughs) and the flying saucers were invented at 4 p.m in the afternoon of june the 24th 1947 when kenneth arnold who was a a private pilot in um, washington state usa he also sold fire extinguishers i think as a sideline but he had his own plane and there was this um, i think there was a c-46 or something that had gone down in the cascade mountains and the National Guard were out looking for it. So he went out in his plane. It was a clear, bright day, and he was over, I think, Mount Adams. There's a big sort of range of mountains there between Washington State and the border with Canada. Nothing untoward going on, and then he saw this flash of light in the distance, and he looked around, and he saw an echelon formation of strange objects that he immediately thought, this is post-war, all the sort of stories about Russian um experimental aircraft, there was the flying flapjack that was being tested at the time. Now the interesting thing is they were bat wing shaped. They looked very much like the sort of things that the CIA and the US Air Force are developing now, and he was looking at these things in 1947. And they were sort of reflecting the light, and they were moving at a tremendous speed, you know, sort of he radioed this in, he couldn't work out what he'd seen, he got, I think it was Yakima Airfield he landed at, and the news had sort of followed him to the airfield so when he got there he was surrounded by all these journalists and you know you can imagine the flash guns going off what was it etc etc and, and he didn't say well I saw a flight of flying saucers he said I saw these nine strange objects and one of the journalists said how did they move and he said well it moved like if you imagine if you took a saucer and you skipped it across a pond and it sort of went black 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 like that and someone somewhere in a newsroom, a sub-editor, put the story together and came up with flying saucers. And then literally, within a day or so, when we talk about things going viral now on social media, everyone had heard about flying saucers. I mean, there was a Gallup poll that was done in the USA by the Gallup organization in August that year, and it found that something like 90% recognition, and the Gallup organization had That's never...
2: extraordinary.
1: I even found, I had a look through the Mass Observation Archive at University of Sussex when I was doing my research mm-hmm. for one of my books, and there's all sorts of stuff in people's diaries in England in 1947 saying, I heard about the flying saucers. How exciting. That's a
2: really interesting thing. So the
1: precision, four o'clock, and then you
2: know, one person seeing something he couldn't identify, and suddenly the whole world within yes. the space
1: of a few days. The interesting thing here was, don't forget, he didn't describe what he saw as flying saucers. Okay? Hmm. And right to his dying day in the 1980s, he was filmed by Arthur C. Clarke for The Mysterious World. Actually, they took him on the route, if you dig out the old episode, he's there in his old aeroplane with his microphone saying, and that's where I saw them, that's where I saw them. And they weren't saucers. (laughs) So... We're left with two possibilities. Either there's something odd going on here, or there's aliens are watching our, or listening to our radio and TV broadcasts and thought, ah, this chap has seen something that looks like a flying saucer, so we'll send our fleets down to Earth disguised you <laughs> <it>. uh, <laughs> see what I mean? <laughs> that,
2: it's, it's, that's amazing. Well, what an amazing story. Like, it wasn't even... he didn't even see flying saucers. No. And, what, okay, context is everything. Why, what was it about the word saucer that just caught the public imagination and suddenly everyone started seeing things and the technology started to become more and more saucer-like? Presumably, as he, as he mentioned, it was to do with the fact that it was post-war. So, there, I don't know, post-war paranoia? Uh, communist paranoia that was beginnings of the cold war so was i guess sort of political suspicions and like you say the sort of development of secret aircraft like the sort of sr-71s and all these aircrafts that were sort of being built during the post-war did that all feed into this
1: sort of mythology undoubtedly yeah i mean and it's continued to feed into it because the shape of these things has changed Continually. I mean, there was a mm. period after flying saucers went out of favor when they were all different shapes, you know, the triangle shaped and you know, isosceles-shaped and all, all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. And then in the 1990s, when we started getting all the images of the um, the American stealth bomber and B-2 bomber and what have you, yes, exactly. suddenly UFOs became triangular-shaped. And if you watch episodes of The X-Files yeah. now, that is the shape of UFOs, these sort of stealthy triangles. And we've now got the, the Pentagon report. And if you watch any of these um, TV shows that are coming, up, coming from uh, across the Atlantic, that are around these sightings that have been made by the pilots in the Pacific. And they're telling you UFOs are tic-tac shaped. So if you see one, it's got well, a tic-tac.
2: Tic-tac, this is it. And you mentioned this the, the change from f- the word flying saucer to UFO is a way of... Yep. Well, flying saucers are silly. Let's call them unidentified flying objects and make them a bit yes. more science-y. But now we have to call them UAPs. UAPs. Unidentified aerial phenomena. UAPs. Just remind our listeners about the Pentagon report. What is the Pentagon report? This is something relatively recent.
1: Yes, well, they've given themselves a huge rod to beat themselves with, basically, what's happening. They're trying to give give the subject credibility. Yeah, the US Department of Defense has been reluctantly forced into setting up yet another UFO project, which is currently running, and hopefully this time they might actually make a proper job of it in that they're talking about monitoring sort of areas in real time using radar, which is if you want to find something odd, that is a good way of doing it rather than combing over old records and people's stories from years ago, which is what they did with Project Blue Book. Which was the early one, but I still can't see anything yes. coming of it. Well, this is the problem. The problem is, if
2: we're talking about a myth, to be disparaging, but and if they set up listening programs with radars, they're probably not going to find anything. But that's not going to people. Then aren't going to go? Ah, oh, okay, UFOs—they don't exist. They're just going to presumably. Kick the can further down the line and say, "Oh well, the government must be hiding things. They must be hiding the truth." Everywhere, you know, there's always conspiracy. There seems to be <laughs> as part of the as part of the myth, as part of the narrative, because we love conspiracies. We love conspiracy theories. Conspiracies are exciting. The fact that government hide things from us, we tend to like. And this is, as far as I can gather, this is how it escalates and is well, fun. The, to the think irony
1: about. being. The irony being that if they are hiding anything, it's their own technology that they're testing, you know, sort of highly advanced drones, which clearly a lot of these recent sightings that's caused a lot of the excitement in America. Um, are supersonic drones if such a thing exists that the americans have yeah. been working on the russians have been i mean there's a secret sort of war being going on and you look at some of the descriptions i mean it, there's been two particular sort of outbreaks outbreak societies there's one in the pacific the nimitz story that you mentioned Allison. this is the then, big one that everyone's sort of talking about at the moment why is that not a submarine launched drone because it was seen coming out of the sea it behave like a drone if it walks like a duck and it quacks it's a duck <laughs> and, and the i'll tell you was- why david because we love
2: to we love more more exciting explanations we don't want it to just to be something normal we want it to be a flag saucer that's come out of the water yeah. but actually just something you said about sort of technology and how the technology or certainly the technology in our minds there's this kind of parallel lines between the kind of myth-making and our imaginations and the shape of technology from things like saucer shapes to triangle shapes to... And now we're talking about tic-tac shapes because... That, you know that's what someone's reported it's really interesting it's a, it does say a lot about the human brain doesn't it
1: yeah it does i mean we're all constantly trying to imagine things aren't we um what technology is likely to be in 20 years time i mean when i when i was a, a youngster i was thinking that we'd be zooming to mars on you know with our jet packs and we'd have our own personal flying saucer to zoom around in and little did i realize that it would all be focused on a little mobile phone in <laughs>
2: History tells us that in 1455, the royal houses of Lancaster and York went to war, beginning a 30-year dynastic struggle for the throne that would change the course of English history forever. It became known as the Wars of the Roses.
0: At this time, the Wars of the Roses are well underway, there's so much uncertainty throughout the country and who's going to come through all of this.
2: This month, we're dedicating a special series of episodes to finding out all the answers to your burning questions. People have just assumed the Beauforts were bad. but when was this scribbled in? It's effectively an act of graffiti on a parliamentary roll. Who were the key players? What were the critical battles and switches of allegiance? Was it ever really a case of good and bad? Join me, Matt Lewis, on the Gone Medieval podcast from History Hit every Saturday for brand new episodes When I was growing up in, in the sort of 1970s and 1980s, flying saucer reports were always kind of very, very grainy photographs. And, you know, back then people didn't carry cameras around. So if you got a picture of a flying saucer, you, you had to just have happened to have a camera with you and then process the film and lo and behold, there's a flying saucer. Now we all have high resolution cameras, on a, on a, on a, why aren't we seeing flying saucers all the time? Just for on a sort of numbers game, to me, is a kind of a dead giveaway that there probably aren't lots of aliens well, of course. visiting us, <laughs> despite, <laughs> of, despite the fact that we want to. The, and, and also,
1: they're still just as blobby and grainy as they ever were. The believers would say that they have this uh, incredible gift of becoming invisible just as you, you raise your camera. <laughs> it's convenient. Yeah, they zoom back into our other dimension. <laughs> You probably remember that little book I did of drawings, UFO drawings that people had sent oh, it, it, to the military. It, so this is
2: this is just explain because you went to the National Archives in the UK to look at the secret X files, and it's a really interesting thing because we were all expecting proper X files. But it's basically just kids' drawings. And some of the drawings are wonderful and and lovely and beautiful and fascinating. Yeah, just tell us a little bit about those.
1: Yeah, I mean, as you say, the photographs are really, really poor. I mean, they're embarrassingly poor. There's nothing, apart from a few hints from sort of right early back that the RAF did at one time have some gun camera film, which has always intrigued me. uh, There's a chap called Ralph Noyes, who was a quite an assistant director or something in the MOD in the 1950s who I interviewed, and he said he distinctly remembered being taken into a basement cinema at the Ministry of Defence main building in the 1970s, I think it was, and there was various uh, top brass standing around, and it was like, have a look at these, Ralph, see what do you think they are. And he said all they were were sort of blobs of light and sort of against a dark background, and he said he thought there was some kind of meteorological Thing, but they'd been taken by RAF pilots using the gun cameras in the wings
2: mm-hmm. and
1: but what mm-hmm. became of them I found a couple of mentions of them in the files but that was it, the rest of it was really poor quality yeah. and then you got all these drawings that had been sent in, some of them quite accomplished, there was one of them that was like an oil painting that someone had, had made yeah, the one. I, think, yeah. I think they used it on the cover of the book and it was just like folded yeah. up in this sort of paper file and tied with string and I opened it up and I thought wow you know, someone spent an awful lot of time on. Yeah,
2: they have. It's a really, it's a really beautiful book. It reminds me, you know, the, for me, the classic film when I was a kid growing up. It was less Star Wars, which was all about flying saucers, kind of, and you know, life beyond Earth. But it was Close Encounters, and I always really, you know, the Roy Neary character played by uh, Richard Dreyfus, you know, modelling this kind of fantasy in his head. You know, the Devil's Tower out of mashed potato, and then to me, that really. It, Whoever made... Well, Spielberg must have been a real flying saucer nut. He was. Because to, to, you know, woven in that story are all the kind of the technology that we talk about. And, of course, this, right at the end,
1: as the aliens about. land, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who was the high priest of ufology at the time, yeah. advisor to Project Blue Book, he sort of walks out and he lights his pipe, yes. doesn't he, as the aliens emerge from the spaceship. And Roy Neely's character... He epitomizes everything to do with what we're talking about. The people who become obsessed with it because he is a person who sees. Yeah, I want to believe, yeah. Of course, I want to believe. Yeah,
2: he sees it, and, and and it was reflected again, all these ideas reflected again in the X-Files with the difference between the Mulder and Scully characters, I want to believe, became the... Which seems to still be the sort of fundamental driving force of why this is still... But you
1: know, the aliens in Close Encounters, you know, the the big heads and the dark eyes, which from that point yes. on would seem to have sort of become part of pop culture and you see them everywhere. And on the, the front
2: cover of Whitley Stryber's book, I think, is it Communion? Is that Communion. what it's called? The famous, with that sort of almond-shaped eyes that became, the, certainly in the 1990s, the, the alien. That's the shape of the alien. And it's the emoji now, if you go into emojis, that emoji shape if you do an alien. But the create... the
1: idea back in 1978 when that film was released that that's what aliens look like, Alan Hynek, actually, I don't know whether it was a mistake, mm. it's, it became sort of known that the way that those aliens were produced by the special effects person, I think it was Carlo Rimbaldi, that was based upon actual eyewitness descriptions of ufo occupants well that was not the case because if you look at the literature of ufology before that time ufo occupants did not look like that they were all sizes and shapes they were frog shaped things they were bug-eyed monsters they were genuine nordics nordics etc etc and where did carlo rimbaldi get the idea from he got it from hg wells the man of the year million you know the idea that like what would we look like in a million years' time? We'd have it, as a human race, we will have evolved to the point where we've got enormous heads, atrophied bodies with tiny little limbs. That's where they got the idea from mm-hmm. from Close Encounters, not from actual eyewitness accounts of aliens that people had met. So that went into the film, became pop culture. Mm-hmm. And then, as you've said, Dallas, we've got all the stuff in the 1980s with alien abductions, creatures with big heads and big dark almond eyes. Going back to the drawings, you know, the, the ones we were talking about in the National Archives, the one that really, ones that really get me is the crayon drawings from the kids, etc. Yeah. And I remember seeing some of these on TV on John Craven's Newsround, who'd seen the UFO landing in the playground and everything. The UFO has got a ladder coming down from it. Now, this is a, a craft that's come across zillions of miles, you know, light years across space, and it puts a ladder down. But also, if you've got that technology that can cross, why, why would you hide it? Like, why is everything
2: always so covert? It's a bit like ghosts. Here's my thing about ghosts. Like years ago, I made this program about ghost because I just wanted to find a normal ghost that would just sit down and talk to me like we're talking like how come when you die and you cross over and inverted commas you just turn into an idiot and start making books flap and walls bleed and that kind of thing why can't you I'm not going to do that when I'm alive why am I why would I do it now and sort of flying saucers are a bit like that now as science and technology progresses like in I suppose in the 1950s Well, we think about, you know, HG Wells and Mars and canals on Mars. And then we look a bit closer with real telescopes and we realise, well, actually, there aren't any canals on Mars. Suddenly it pushes the aliens further. Okay, well, maybe not Mars, but maybe a different solar system. And then, you know, as our technology gets better, we look at solar systems and we don't see any other life. Oh, well, maybe another dimension. You're forever pushing the idea of aliens sort of further and further away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you'll be familiar with the Betty and Barney Hill story. Which... Very familiar. So these are the beginnings of abduction, this idea of UFO abduction, yeah.
1: Because before that, we had George Adamski and, you know, what became known as the contactees in the 1950s. And they were the people, this is before... George King, he was a British version wasn't he, the Aetherius Society, and they claimed that they'd met friendly aliens who were effectively like angels who wanted to save us from the atom bomb and they took these nobodies, people they just came across randomly, rather than going to the leader as in the day the Earth stood still, they picked up a, someone who was a taxi driver who lived in Maida Vale whilst he was doing his washing up, this is the story, I'm not making it up, and took him on a, around the solar system visiting Mars and Venus and Saturn etc etc, but then, when we our space probes got there, as you say, found the, what the conditions were like in Venus, even, they even had an answer for that because they said, "Oh well, yeah, it's still there on Venus, but he's on a higher vibrational level, well, so he's, he's not affected by all the sort of sulfuric acid and stuff." You can
2: ne- because you can never disprove it; it always just someone comes up. No one ever. I've never. No one's ever oh, "Yeah, wrong. There, there's no aliens." Oh, listen, we're running out of time. I could sort of keep talking about this. But listen, hey, David, thank you. So flying saucers were invented. Remind us, four o'clock. What time is it? I don't know what
1: day of the week it was, but it was definitely 24th of June, 1947. And it will be the 75th anniversary this June the 24th.
2: So we will be celebrating the birth of that wonderful bit of technology even if it's a technology of our minds, the flying saucer. Tell me just very quickly, flying saucers of the future, are we still going to be, is this a story, are we going to be talking about UFOs forever?
1: I think so. In various
2: guises, are they going to continue to morph alongside our technology and our imaginations and our political shenanigans?
1: I think it's the greatest modern myth of the scientific age. I don't think there's anything that touches it. And I think it will live forever. And maybe people won't be seeing flying saucers, but they'll be seeing other stuff. And don't forget, there's all the little sub-myths that have come out of this. The men in black, crop circles, all the conspiracy theories that you've mentioned, Mm. Alice. So even if the main myth dies away, there will be other sort of sub-branches of the myth that will appear and gain strength and then die away. And as you say, it comes and goes in waves yeah. and troughs. Yeah.
2: You've got to have a thick skin to be, I've noticed, to be to, to talking about flying saucers or UFOs or UAPs. Because if you take a position like perhaps you and I, and for those who are very, very passionate about believing, they let you know how how wrong you are
1: yes you do have to be very tolerant don't you and as i think patrick moore said you've just got to say well they're entitled to their opinion they're what did he describe them as you know independent thinkers and i think the world is better for them i think it's good Uh, well exactly right that's perhaps a a final point why are
2: we so interested in flying saucers Um, in a different way to other people what is it about the subject that? Well, I, I, all I, can I can say from, from a personal point of view, well. I
1: think it brings enchantment to the universe. I think, yeah, I'm into science, and you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I think science is a wonderful thing and can explain. Look at it. It brought us all these vaccines and it's brought us all this wonderful technology. But at the end of the day, we are human beings and we are the same human beings who sat in those sort of mouths of caves tens of thousands of years ago and looked at the sky and wondered and thought, are there things out there that are more intelligent than us? And I think UFOs are the modern equivalent to that. They are technological Mm -hmm. angels, to steal a phrase from Carl Jung. Brilliant to talk to you, David.
2: Hey, listen, your book "How UFOs Conquered the World" it's a wonderful read. Anyone who's interested in the wider context of technology and UFOs should absolutely read it. It's really, really good. What are you working on at the moment? Have you parked your flying saucers and? onto other things
1: yeah I'm, I'm more into sort of generic folklore now and i'm trying to establish sort of like an archive at sheffield hallam university of weird stuff great sort of people people <laughs> sort of collections of weird stuff that I, I think needs a home somewhere so that's my project
2: david clark it's wonderful to talk to you as ever i'm such a big fan
1: we'll get you back on talking about other inventions of things well thanks for inviting me dallas i've been looking forward to this for a while pleasure anu nanu yes Okay,
2: that's it. Well, thank you very much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed that. Absolutely fascinating stuff. Really, it's one of those subjects I could just talk for hours and hours about and normally do. Anyway, David's a fantastic authority on the subject and his book, How UFOs Conquered the World. Highly, highly recommended. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. If you've got a, an idea you'd like me to explore or talk about, then get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, keep watching those skies and uh, in the words of... Fox Mulder, I want to believe
0: selling a little or a lot. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive